Welcome to Let's Talk FCA, presented by Coral and Morin. We're your co-hosts, Jason Crawford and Mono Lombardo, bringing you the latest developments with the False Claims Act. Today's episode takes a close look at False Claims Act considerations for U.S. importers. Our guests today are Francis Hadfield and Allegra Flam. Francis is counsel in the firm's International Trade Group and is based in the New York office, where she focuses on customs litigation and regulatory compliance. Allegra is an associate in the government contracts and international trade groups. She's based in our DC office, and she has experience representing clients in False Claims Act investigations and litigation, as well as advising companies on regulatory issues. Welcome to you both. Thank you. It's a pleasure being here. Thanks, Jason. Yes, welcome to you both, Francis and Allegra. So in recent years, we've seen a rise in the number of FDA lawsuits alleging that importers have concealed obligations to pay customs duties. Francis, do you want to set the stage as to why importers should be thinking about the False Claims Act? Certainly, and thank you. So as background, it's really no surprise that currently importers are operating in a protectionist environment. And we have higher duties on Section 301 imports from China, Section 232 cases, and we also have increased Customs and Border Protection Enforcement, also known as CBP. And at this time, who knows what's really going to happen with NAFTA? And if importers did not have enough to worry about, now they have to be mindful of potential False Claims Act cases anytime they provide information to U.S. Customs and Border Protection about the nature of the imported products so that they are making a tariff classification announcing a country of origin of their products, the value of their products, and any anti-dumping or countervailing duties that might be owed. Because if companies make a false statement to avoid paying money owed to the government, importers can find themselves on the hook for the False Claims Act's treble damages. And this is a change from the past, where if an importer avoided duties, the company typically would only face an administrative penalty proceeding before CBP. I don't want to make light of that, That is not a small enforcement action, and it's a potentially large amount of money that the importer can be on the hook for. But increasingly, duty evasion cases are being filed by private party whistleblowers filed under the False Claims Act in district courts, and importers are not merely facing enforcement actions by the administrative agency at the U.S. Court of International Trade. Thanks, Francis. Before we dive in and discuss the specific risk areas for importers, probably worth providing a quick overview of the theory of FCA liability that relators and the DOJ rely on in these customs cases. Allegra, can you explain what provision of the statute is implicated in these actions? Sure, Jason. As a listening audience may know, most FCA suits are based on allegations that a defendant presented to the government or caused someone else to present a false claim for payment. For example, a contractor invoices the government for materials of a certain grade, but in actuality delivers materials of an inferior quality. But cases brought against importers typically involve another provision of the statute, Section 3729A1G, which creates liability for the wrongful retention of payments owed to the government. This so-called reverse false claim provision extends liability to any person who, knowingly conceals or knowingly and improperly avoids or decreases an obligation to pay or transmit money or property to the government. So in cases where an importer has made a false statement to CBP to avoid paying duties, the theory of liability is that the importer knowingly concealed or decreased an obligation to pay money to the government. And an importer facing FCA liability can face exposure up to three times the dollar amount that the government was allegedly defrauded 
and civil penalties of $11,181 to $22,363 for each false claim. Thanks for that overview. As Francis mentioned, the use of the FCA in customs cases is relatively new, but it's a trend that we don't foresee changing anytime soon. When retired partner Brian Elmer was on the podcast a couple of months ago, we asked him where he thought we would see the most new FCA filings in the coming years. And he observed that if you want to know where FCA enforcement is headed, you should consider the old Watergate saying of follow the money, because the plaintiff's bar will generally focus on areas where there are lots of federal dollars at stake. And given the current tariff regime, we can likely expect the upward trend of these FCA cases to continue for the foreseeable future. So recognizing that there's an increased risk of ketan lawsuits, Francis, do you want to highlight types of behavior that can become the basis of FCA liability? Certainly. So I mentioned them briefly, and what I'm going to discuss is a little bit more about what that entails. So the first one is one of the more obvious means that an importer can make a mistake or can misrepresent the nature of their goods, and that's called misclassification. And it happens typically on the importer's invoice, where they describe the nature or the physical characteristics of the imported goods. And sometimes there are dishonest importers who might put down a lower duty than what is actually owed knowingly, but it also can sometimes be a mistake. Typically, one instance of having the wrong classification on invoice is not something where Customs and Border Protection would pursue an importer. It's the instance when the importer says he has cotton shirts when he is really importing a cotton poly blend, and there's a significant difference in the duty. Say one of the shirts, the cotton shirt, might be dutiable at 5%, and the cotton poly blend might be dutiable at 16%. So it's where you have a big difference in the imported tariff being applied to the product. The next instance is undervaluing. So most duties are calculated on an ad valorem basis, and that means that the amount of the tariff owed, that 5% versus a 16%, is a percentage of the value of the goods imported. So it would be 5% on $10 or 16% on $10. If an importer falsely claims that the goods are worth less than they actually are in order to pay a lesser duty, then this too can be the basis of a False Claims Act liability. So instead of declaring that his cost of manufacture for the shirt was $10, as it actually was, he says, oh, it was $5. And that would be an instance of misrepresenting to customs. And another area where a company might have some vulnerability is regarding country of origin. Some duties only apply to goods from certain countries. And this is one where we are looking to see in the future a greater increase in FCA claims. Because right now, of course, we have 301 tariffs against China. So some duties are only applied to goods from certain countries. And country of origin fraud occurs when importers fraudulently claim that imported goods are from a different country than they actually are because they're trying to avoid being taxed at that rate. So what we are expecting to see with the round of 301 tariffs is that importers may try to do an illegal end run around the duties owed. And we've had numerous calls with all sorts of scenarios where importers propose that they can, and this is not accurate, you cannot get out of 301 tariffs by just, oh, could we open a distribution center in Canada or could we transship through Vietnam? The country of origin of manufacture, if China can't be gotten around by the opening of a distribution center or transshipment. And the other area 
where you expect to see increased duty avoidance is in anti-dumping and countervailing duties. And it's one of the broadest categories because it can be in the form of misclassifying, undervaluing, or not declaring goods that are subject to an anti-dumping order, or claiming a wrong country of origin in order to avoid duties. Thanks, Francis. It's worth mentioning that these custom-based FCA suits are always initiated by relators. About 15 years ago, the Ninth Circuit held that federal district courts cannot hear FCA cases brought initially by the government if damages are based on the fraudulent evasion of customs duties. The Ninth Circuit reasoned that the Court of International Trade has exclusive jurisdiction over such actions. And since then, DOJ has not brought any affirmative FCA suits alleging customs fraud. However, DOJ can intervene in these suits. And over the past few years, the Department of Justice has demonstrated an interest in joining these actions. So for example, in 2016, an upscale furniture and accessories company called eGallery agreed in a DOJ settlement to pay $15 million to resolve allegations that the company had engaged in a scheme to evade customs duties on imports of wooden bedroom furniture from China. Allegations were originally brought by a relator who was an e-commerce retailer of furniture. And two years later, in 2018, Bassett Mirror agreed to pay the U.S. $10.5 million to resolve allegations that it had violated the FCA by knowingly making false statements on customs declarations to avoid paying anti-dumping duties, also on wooden bedroom furniture from China. And these allegations were also released by the same e-commerce retailer that had filed the case against Z Gallery. And it's worth flagging that these cases had been filed before the Trump administration's recent actions, which suggests that the government's interest in and the rise in False Claims Act cases against importers will only accelerate, since this all occurred prior to the 301 tariffs and the actions being taken with regarding to NAFTA, soon to be called USMCA. And we expect to see the government taking a more active interest in these cases because of the current trade climate. Thanks, Francis. That's a good point. And it's interesting that in the settlements that Mana highlighted, the relator was a competitor. Typically, FCA relators are disgruntled former employees or someone inside the company with knowledge of the alleged fraud. But we're seeing a lot of these customs cases that are being brought by company outsiders. Any guesses as to why that is? Certainly. And I think the 301 tariffs, again, is a good example. So a company might sue a competitor under the False Claims Act because competitors often have industry knowledge where a rival company is sourcing products. That's especially the case as is developing here, where an importer and manufacturers are competing for production outside of China. So there's a limited pool of places in which they can have their commodities manufactured. As a consequence of the 301 tariffs against China, they're looking to source elsewhere, but may not be able to. If a company learns that a competitor is undercutting them on a price and misrepresenting the country of origin, the competitor will have an incentive to blow the whistle, especially if there is a prospect of reaping a relator's share of the award if the government recovers on the suit. So Francis's point is well illustrated by the cases brought by a company called University Loft, which accused a competitor of falsely classifying imports from China as types of furniture that were not subject to duties. That case settled for $15 million after the government intervened, and University Loft received a relator share of $2.25 million. Since then, University Loft has been able to use those funds from its relator share 
to finance additional QTAM actions against other competitors, again, in the wooden furniture market. But competitors are not the only company outsiders bringing these customs fraud cases. Allegra, uh, can you describe some of the other categories of relators? Sure. So one example is a case that settled a couple of months ago. It had been filed by a corporate entity called Customs Fraud Investigations, LLC, that had been formed for the sole purpose of filing the QTAM suit after the creator of the corporate entity was searching on eBay and discovered the defendant's failure to mark country of origin. Another case that recently settled was filed by a customer of an importer of women's clothes who alleged that the company evaded duties by splitting up single orders into multiple parcels to fall below the $200 level at which duties would be charged. And one of the longest-running customs FCA cases was filed by an international trade attorney who noticed cheap steel pipes being sold at Home Depot, which led him to file a suit against the importer. So as these cases show, the FCA risk for importers are high because of the number of potential relators that could file suit. But any time an FCA case is brought by an outsider, a defendant needs to consider whether any of the FCA's statutory bars are applicable. Mona, can you briefly describe the public disclosure bar and how it might apply in one of these cases? Sure, Jason. So the public disclosure bar prohibits a relator from bringing an FCA lawsuit based on a fraud that has already been publicly disclosed, unless the relator is an original source of the information. A good example of how the bar could apply in customs cases is the D.C. Circuit's decision in USX Rel Doe, where an anonymous relator alleged that companies like Staples, Office Max, and Target had misrepresented the origin of imported pencils to avoid paying anti-dumping duties. The government declined to intervene in the case, and the defendants argued that the case should be dismissed because of the public disclosure bar. In the complaint, the relator had alleged that he had learned of the false representations by examining ship manifest data that had been compiled on an online database. And the relator's allegation that the shipments were from China was based on the physical appearance of the pencil. In response, defendants argued that the characteristics of Chinese pencils had already been described in reports produced by the International Trade Commission. And so in light of the publicly available information in the reports and on the online database, the court found that there was sufficient information in the public realm to trigger the application of the public disclosure bar. And then the ruling dismissing the case was upheld by the D.C. Circuit. And if I could just interject here a moment, that was an excellent example of defendant's use of an international trade specialist in this case. And the attorney who assisted in the defense was particularly able to find these International Trade Commission reports which are not generally known of in the broader attorney community and among False Claims Act attorneys. And it exemplifies an instance where you might need a specialist. Thanks, Francis. I think that's exactly right. Before moving on to our next topic, though, it's probably worth briefly touching upon the government action bar. Allegra, can you explain how this provision has the potential to be important in trade cases? I'd be happy to. So the government action bar prevents a relator from bringing a QTAM suit that is based upon allegations or transactions which are the subject of a civil suit or an administrative civil money penalty proceeding in which the government is already a party. This is meant to prevent relators from taking a second bite at the apple by filing suits where the government has already recovered from a defendant based on the same underlying facts. 
The bar was invoked in a case called U.S. Exeral Chagrin versus LDR Industries LLC, where CBP investigated and found that LDR had misclassified its imports of carbon steel pipes. CBP informed the company that it owed millions of dollars in duties. In response, LDR declared bankruptcy while CBP was still preparing the pre-penalty notice. A couple months after LDR declared bankruptcy, a Keytam suit was filed against the company based on the same anti-dumping conduct. The company invoked the government action bar, and after extensive motions practice, the district court ruled that the bar did not apply because a penalty proceeding had not been initiated before the company went into bankruptcy. And so even though the court allowed the case against LDR to continue, the decision could still be helpful for future FCA defendants because the court's reasoning suggests that if CBP had issued a pre-penalty notice, it would have been sufficient for purposes of triggering the government action bar. So we've talked a fair amount about the risks facing importers. Francis and Jason, do you want to mention a couple of steps importers can take to mitigate these risks? Certainly. So, you know, as we discussed, competitors and customers and disgruntled former employees all have a strong incentive to bring False Claims Act suits, and sometimes wrongly so. So a mere mistake is a lot different from having a deliberate action to avoid government duties and what is owed. So if an importer suspects that they have some import vulnerability and that they've made an error, they should consider whether they need to file a prior disclosure. But, as was mentioned previously, it is worth noting that if Customs issues a pre-penalty notice after investigating, that could potentially serve as the basis of the government action bar if a key TAM suit is filed. So you need to be aware of both. Do you need to make a prior disclosure so that the government is barred from opening up an investigation? Or, once an investigation is ongoing, do you need to be aware that that may serve as a defense in a False Claims Act suit? Yeah, I think that's exactly right. And the only other thing I'd add is the importance of having an internal compliance program. Even if these internal controls fail, and if they don't guarantee 100% compliance, having a robust program can show that the importer exercised reasonable care, which can be important evidence that the importer did not act with actual knowledge or with reckless disregard, which is the standard of knowledge under the False Claims Act. In sum, having a strong compliance program can be the difference between an error being viewed as an innocent mistake or being viewed as an FCA violation. Thanks, Jason. Well, that's all for this episode. We want to thank Francis and Allegra for joining us to discuss False Claims Act considerations for U.S. importers. If you have any questions, I can be reached at 213-443-5563 and Jason at 202-624-2562. We'll see you next time on Let's Talk FCA. Let's Talk FCA is brought to you by Kroll and Mooring LLP. You can find more information at kroll.com slash let's talk FCA.